Are you doing well? You doing okay? So a lot of times we measure how we are doing and what is going on in our, in our life. Uh, yeah, the kids can be dismissed. Hey, kids, for the kids, fun stuff. Anyway, the, the, uh, we measure how, we're, how the week went by, you know, whether things were going good or things were, were really rough. And we sort of get to the end and we think, well, that was a rough week or that was a hard week or that was a busy week. But, it, but, it, but in all of that, it's really our understanding, our perspective of what we're looking at and, and what's going on around us and, and how we can, we can judge that. I, I just came across a, a brand new uh, study by the, the, the Barna Group. And then he does surveys in, and in America and such in regards to Christians' uh, uh, life and atmosphere and, and everything that goes with that. And, and this last one was just, just disturbed me. <laughs> Because, you know, they just put it out there. This is what it is. This is what it, what it says. And they, they did this study, and they found out that uh, 37% of pastors do not have a biblical, uh, no, only, let me get this backwards. It's even worse than that. <laughs> only 37% of pastors in churches have a biblical worldview. Only 37 and, and if they, they actually broke it down because they're very meticulous about that. And the senior pastors were like 41, and then, you know, associates were a little bit less, a little bit less, until you get down to the, to, I don't know. But it, it just means it was a leadership problem. But that really struck me because, you see, the biblical worldview is your filter. That's what you're measuring everything. Was God good to me this week? Is God going to do something in my life this week? Is this going to work out? That's your, that's your filter. That's your biblical worldview, how you understand life around you. And I believe that, that understanding that is so profound. And you're thinking, man, you know, what, what does that mean? I was, when we were at uh, Branson and, and uh, Yay, Missouri, there it is. I think it's the first time I ever spend the night in the state of Missouri. Beautiful, beautiful place, and we were just in this cabin outside of uh, Branson, and it was in the middle, literally in the middle of nowhere, there for a family reunion, and and uh, there was a beautiful lake, and it was just we were we were really on just a little finger of it, just a little. Uh, it looked like a river, but it was a part of the lake, and I when we got there, it was just overlooking it, and it was a valley, you know, on both sides, and it was just gorgeous. Everything about it was just amazing, and the water was clear and and crystal clear and it was it was it was just just beautiful we had a big rainstorm and uh and after the rainstorm i went outside and stood on the the balcony and looked at it and i thought oh because the on the other side it was just trees and dirt and the dirt had come all down and flooded into the 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 lake below us and it turned it all muddy and it just it was all it was all muddy muddy it was all uh, it, it didn't look good, and I, so I, I was disappointed. I thought, oh, that's terrible. That beautiful, crystal clear lake is now all muddy. You know, you could actually see the mud coming off of the, off the hill and moving and, and just covering the whole thing. But then I remembered something that just out of nowhere, just something struck me about in your earth science. Remember those classes in high school, whatever. Anyway, in earth science, I remembered one of the ways that the lakes are are uh, helped and are, are, are strengthened and given nu- nutrition and such is from the dirt, the sediment that comes from around and comes into the lake. And it actually is good for the fish and it feeds the fish and, and the life and everything in there. So even though it looked messy, 
Now, stay with me. <laughs> even though it looked messy, even though it looked a little dirty, even though it looked like a little messed up, then you have to understand this was God's way of making sure the lake was healthy, making sure the, the, the lake was good. And I believe this is what God does so often. He comes in and sort of stirs up. He stirs up a little bit of this, and he stirs up here because we have a tendency to fall into our little rut. We say, this is how I worship. This is how I live. This is who God is. This is what's going on around us. And sometimes those views are set and are, are, are clarified by a wrong worldview around us, not by a, a biblical worldview. And so because of that, we, we, we think, man, God, I don't know if I like this. I love this scripture, Isaiah 42, 13. I just want to start with that because I think it just really sets the tone of what we need to talk about. The Lord will march out like a champion. I love that. It, it's a, this is, verse is pictures. This is what this verse does. I just want you to see this picture. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. <laughs> he, will, he will stand up strong. With a shout, he will rise, raise uh, the battle cry and will triumph over his, his enemies. In other words, he brings victory. He, he's stirring up his veal, uh, zeal. <laughs> veal, I'm thinking of lunch. But he, he's stirring up his zeal so that he can, uh, so he will be victorious. And we need to understand that's what God does. When God's stirring things up in your life and God's turning things around and you're not sure why this is going here or why that's going there, it's because God wants to bring victory in your life. And so this morning I want to talk about stirring up the waters. And I think that's what God's doing. I think that's what God wants to do. He wants to stir up the waters of your heart and your spirit and your mind. But Because we think, this is all I can do. Or, I can't believe for this. Or God's not going to bring this healing. Or God's not going to turn this job around. And this situation is around. And God's saying, you know what? I'm here to stir up some things. I'm going to stir up some water. <laughs> Are you ready to get stirred up? You ready to get stirred up? <laughs> so listen, listen to what, what I believe God wants us to understand. You see, Jesus often got accused of stirring up people. You know, because that's what the Pharisees accused him of more than once. You're just stirring up the people. And the irony behind that was, yes, they were thinking he's stirring up the people to, uh, to you know, to overthrow the, the, the Pharisees and, and such. But in a sense, all that was true. He was stirring up the people to greater faith. He was stirring up the people to something bigger, to something greater, to something that, that they couldn't even imagine. He was stirring it up, stirring it up, stirring it up. And I believe that's what God wants to do here. It's about stirring up. And you think, well, Greg, I, well, I don't want to be stirred up. <laughs> I, you know, I like my little world. I like this. I like what's, what's, what's going on. I understand that. Change is messy. Change is messy. It always is. But see, God is a God, I believe, of not only uh, if it's a God of the past, present, and future. He is the God of change. He's a God, that, and he wants to bring us into a closer relationship. He wants us to understand more of who he is and understand how we can live for him. So you might be thinking, well, what's uh, change all about? It's about understanding the life that God has for us. Really understand how, how messy it can be. And a lot of times, when it's messy, we focus on the mess, don't we? All we see is the mess. We see the mess. Oh, that's a mess, and I, that's a mess. But God has so much more. God wants to uh, do so much more. So I want you to, to see stirring up a little bit differently. Instead of seeing it's not so good, I want you to see it as something. Maybe God's saying something. Maybe God's stirring up some hope. Maybe God's stirring up some life. Maybe God's stirring up some vision in me. Maybe God's stirring up some, uh, some direction in me that I haven't had before. I want us to focus on John chapter 5, and it's a great story. 
It's a story that you easily can get lost in and sort of miss the really the point of everything that's going on. But in John chapter 5, we have the uh, Jesus going into Jerusalem. Now, this is important, and we'll talk about it. Jesus actually went into Jerusalem. So this is going on inside of Jerusalem. And he goes to this area where all these lame people, laying there, crippled, whatever, are laying by this pool, hoping for healing, hoping to be changed, hoping that something is going to turn around. And you see, they all had a, a, a particular worldview and many of them were trapped by it. Many of them were trapped by this worldview that was holding them in place and not allowing them to really grow, not allowing them to, G, uh, to, to change. So Jesus came to stir up, I believe, and here's my first thought, to stir up our, our worldview of our, of our time, the worldview of what we live in. See, we have a worldview around us. This, this society, this culture, it says this is how you should think, <laughs> This is who you, what you should do. This is the way that you should behave. It's a, it's a worldly worldview that goes against what God wants in the Bible. And, and we find that exactly here because a lot of, what a lot of people don't realize is this uh, pool was actually an old pagan temple right in the middle of Jerusalem. See, when the Greeks were there, and the Greeks ruled this whole area during the Hellenistic period, they built this temple. And this temple was built to a, uh, a doctor who they considered a demigod. And so this, this, this uh, god would created, they built all these temples, and people would go to these temples for healing. And that's what you find here. And, and in fact, uh, they would go to these temples, but there's a process now. Some of this might sound familiar. I'm just, just, just saying it. <laughs> because the process was, before you go to this temple to get healed, you had to do a cleansing <laughs> So you had to drink some stuff, whatever they had, and for the next seven days, get cleansed. Let me tell you, having had the procedure and stuff, that is not a good, that is not a good, good thing. So you have, to, you have to get cleansed of all this because they, they start with cleansing the body. But then, empty it out of everything. Then you went into the temple, and you had to cleanse out your mind. And they did it with meditation, and they did it with other things. You have to empty out everything. That was the whole point. Empty out. So there's nothing left in you. And then after you did that, you took some drugs to sleep, which still goes on today. But anyway, you took some drugs and you sleep. And during that time of sleep, this Greek god would come in and give you dreams. And then this dream, you would tell the priest in the next morning. And the priest would, would tell you, this is how you're going to get healed. Now you're saying, Greg, why are you laying all that out? It's, it's because this, is, this was a foreign view. This was a foreign pagan view that has somehow morphed into the very heart of Jerusalem and, and was there, and there were, there were people that thought, that's what, what I need to do. And you see, what would happen is they would have these dreams, and they would then say, okay, that's what I need to do. That's, that's how I need to act it out. In fact, if you look at Jude chapter 1, verse 8, it's, he actually talks about this very thing, and he says, on the strength of their dreams that they had at this temple, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. In other words, they're following after the dream. <laughs> they're following after this worldly dream. This is what I need to do. This is what will make me better. This is what's going to really change everything. And we have a tendency to do that even now, is that the world around us, everyone around us, they're following, they're chasing after that dream. What is it that's going to make me better? What is it that's going to make me whole? What is it that's going to make me strong? They're chasing after this, this dream. But all of it comes by being that worldview 
the worldview we have now means if you want to uh, uh, change your life, you have to empty out everything that's bad. You have to get all that out. But there's a problem with that. Because we find so often that that's not easy to do. How do we do that? How do we, how do we empty that out? And so Jesus came into this very world in the middle of this pagan temple. Jesus walked right in there to stir it up. <laughs> to stir it up. Because they believed when the waters would stir it, if they got in first, they would be healed. But Jesus came in with a different kind of stirring up. Jesus came with a different kind of way. It wasn't the worldview of how they would be healed. It was something so much greater. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, he says, may the, uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in other words, it's not about emptying. This is what we think. This is what we get all confused. I got to stop doing that. I got to not do that anymore. I got to not be angry there. I got to not be jealousy there. And we try to empty it, and, and that's it's not possible. Because it's not about emptying. It's about feeling. <laughs> that's God's way. That's God's worldview. It's to fill you with the, with the life and the power and the hope and the joy and the spirit that fills you. And this is what's going to change your life. Too many times we try and we try to not sin, to empty ourselves of that sin. We're, we're not supposed to sin, okay? I'm not saying we can sin. I'm just saying that our focus can't be, I don't want to sin. Our, po- our focus has to be, God, fill me up. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with your hope. Fill me with your life. That's what changes us because we're not good enough to get rid of the sin because that's not who we are. But when we have him, when he, he fills us up with all these things, instead of searching the dreams and finding the dreams, that God changes everything. See, so if there's a worldly view out there that says empty, and God says, no, I'm going to fill. But there's also another world view out there. See, Jesus came to stir up the worldview of uh, human effort, of human effort. And we find this, all of these worldviews are right here at this pool, right there. Because the worldview, the temple, everything about this is how you get healed by following these, these worldly dreams, and they all end up in nothingness. And now there is this, this, this same worldview of saying, you can do it. Just add a little bit to what you are. Add a little bit to your strength. Add a little bit to, to uh, how you think you can be better or, or be good. And then you, could, you can change everything if you just add something to it. You see, Jesus came. Touched this man who was lame for 38 years. He gets up and he walks. And Jesus tells him something really interesting. We'll talk about that. He said, I want you to pick up your mat and take it with you when you go. So this man is walking around with his mat, but it happens to be on a Sabbath. And on Sabbath means you don't carry your mat. It's, a, it's against not the Torah, not the law, not the Old Testament, but the extra biblical um, things that they added in. <laughs> And so the, the, the religious leaders were, were all upset because their worldview is all they could see was the mat, and they didn't see the healed legs. All they saw was the mat because they thought, you have to do these things because you have to add extra things so that you can be righteous, so that you can be holy. They were talking about human effort, and all they saw was the mat. They never saw the, the, the healed legs that Jesus brought to this man. You see, what self does, what our own effort does, is mixes 
It takes, okay, God's good, and yeah, church is good, and yeah, God's going to do this, God, and now I'm going to add this, and I'm going to add this, and I'm going to add this, and I'm going to put this in, and I'm going to put this in. And we think, those two things together will really work. <laughs> do they ever? No. <laughs> they never, never, never do. Self uh, mixes with the, the redemption that Jesus uh, brings us, but, but those things will not mix. It will not be there. I want to remind you of the story of Adam and Eve. You probably very familiar with it. So Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they saw, the Bible says they saw, so it was their worldview, they saw the fruit that it was desirable. It was good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so often we get that way. We think, oh, that looks good. I, I, I want that. I, I want that. And, but watch what it says. It says that they saw the fruit that it was desirable and that would make them like God. Now, a lot of people, I think, get this all wrong. They weren't trying to replace God. They were trying to be like God because that's what the Scripture says. Because, you see, God walked with Adam and Eve every single day in the garden. He, and what was that about? What was, was God just bored? <laughs> Didn't have anything to do, so let me just hang out with these humans I just created. A little dusty and dirty, but that's okay. You know, you know no, no, no. What was he doing? It was about walking with them, helping them be more like him. And they could walk with him because they, they didn't have sin in their life, and so God could be there. And he said he was showing more of himself, revealing more of him, so they could be more like him. But they, when they saw the fruit, they thought, hey, I can, I, can, I can add to this. I can cut this corner. This is taking so long. You know, God goes on and on, and he talks about this, and he talks about that, and we go loops around the garden. He says, Why don't I just take this fruit and just cut the corner to this shortcut in my life, add a little bit of this will do it, and this will make it right, or this will do it. And when we add human effort, and that's what they did, they saw the fruit that made them like God. And they're thinking, because so, I don't think the original intent was, I'm going to replace God and be God. No, 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 no. It was, I'm going to be more like God. I need to get there faster. This is how I'm going to get there faster. How many of those shortcuts? They, they get us in trouble a lot. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes they work, but it's this shortcut of adding human effort, having our own ability to something always, always goes awry. And that's exactly what happened because it says then that what they really saw was their nakedness, their brokenness, their emptiness. And we think this worldview of thinking, if I just do this, if I add this, if I'm just good enough, if I just say the right words, if I go the right place, if I just give enough, if I just do this, then that's going to be enough. And that's going to add in my human effort to God's redemption. And it never works. It always falls through. And in the end, all we see really is our emptiness and our brokenness and everything about us. It's really interesting. The most famous temple that, that I'm describing, this, these healing pool temples, was actually in a city called Pergamon. And Pergamon, ironically, is mentioned in the, uh, in the book of Revelation as one of the seven churches. So there's a church in Pergamon. But it starts out very ominous. It says to this church, it says, I know that you actually live in the, in the throne room of Satan, where Satan himself lives. That was the city of Pergamon. <laughs> Campus not that bad. <laughs> that was that was rough. That was. But, but what made it so bad? What was it that was so destructive against the church? Why was it the throne room of Satan? Why was it so evil? And then you begin to go down, and as Jesus talks to the church and says, "Because this is what you're doing. 
you have compromised. And he says it this way. He says, because you have followed the teaching of Balaam. You think, okay, well, what's Balaam? But everyone in, the, in, in, in those days would have understood and remembered that Old Testament story because Balaam was a prophet. And the prophet says, said, I'm going to, uh, was paid money because he was after a different dream. <laughs> and he said, and Balak, the king, said, curse Israel. And Israel, and Balaam said, okay, give me the money. And, and you know the story of the donkey, Balaam's donkey. That's where all this is. There was someone with a little common sense, and it wasn't Balaam. And he, he, he actually saved Balaam's life because there was an angel that appeared that Balaam couldn't see, but the donkey did. Talking about worldview. Talking about worldview, sometimes we don't see the very danger that's ahead of us because we're going our own way, doing our own thing, thinking I'm going to follow my own heart. And we don't see the danger. I think this is where Tolkien got the line, you shall not pass. I'm convinced that's where he got it from. <laughs> because that's what that angel said, you shall not pass. And the donkey goes, good, we're good, we're not going there. And Balaam says, go on, go on, because he didn't see. So God stopped Balaam from cursing Israel. But watch. Balaam says, I really want that money, though. And I know I can't get it until Israel falls, so this is what I'm going to do. He goes to Balak, and he says, this is what you do. I'm not going to curse them, but I want you to go and just convince them to start taking wives outside of Israel with uh, spouses that serve foreign gods. Just, just, Just do that. Just a simple little thing. And eventually... All of these foreign gods will come into Israel and turn Israel's heart away. And that's exactly what happened. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do not follow the teaching of Balaam. Do not follow the compromise. It says, I could, this will be okay. I can add a little bit here. I can do this okay. I can do this. Instead, instead everything that we are is to follow God with all of our heart. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. It was a real encouragement to us, to to follow what God wants us to do. He says, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. You think, well, Greg, what's that about? Well, see, sober, I I, I think, can be worded a little bit different because that's not what it it literally means. It doesn't mean serious. (laughs) I, I know a lot of Christians that try to be serious all the time, and that's just scary. Don't do that. (laughs) But Sober literally means to be focused in spirit, to be focused, to, be, to have a, a, an understanding of, of where you're going and what's going on. And that's what God wants us to understand is that we have to be focused in just using Jesus as our only filter. If we try to do anything else, to set up anything else as a different filter, it will always fail. Jesus can be our only filter. And so often we go wrong because we have the wrong worldview and we, God is doing something in our life and we say, oh, man, God hates me or, or this, is, this is bad or, or this, you know, and, and I'm not saying it's not difficult. I'm just saying God's working and he's stirring up the waters because he's got something bigger going on. He's got something greater going on. Because, you see, Jesus came to stir up the worldview of failure. And this is probably the most difficult for us. So we know the world. I don't want, I don't want to follow the world. I, I do that. And sometimes we even understand compromise. I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to add human effort and human efforts to uh, works to my own uh, righteousness. I know it's only through Jesus. But the failure gets us. The failure is difficult. When we, when we don't succeed, when we fail in our relationship with God, when we fail in 
one another when, 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 when we, we stumble. That's what gets us. How do we overcome that? And this worldview of failure says, God, I can't change, and this won't ever turn around, and this isn't going to get better, and I can't ever serve you. That is the worldview of failure. And I believe so often it plagues the churches and believers by thinking, I can't be that, or I can't do that, or I can't achieve what God wants me to do. And God has so much more. You see, here's the thing about the worldview of failure. It blames everyone else. It literally blames everyone and everything else. And if you're always blaming someone else, you'll never change. You'll never grow. You'll never be different. Oh, it's their fault. They did that. He shouldn't have done that. She shouldn't have done that like that. If this wasn't different, if my childhood wasn't different, if they didn't do this in me, if I wasn't hurt so much about it, and I'm not saying bad things don't happen. I weep and I, I break when I hear those stories. It's just, it's heart-rendering. But the point is that if we just say that's their fault, then we never change. We never turn around. So Jesus says, hey, to this lame man, do you want to be well? <laughs> do you want to be healed? And what is would you, if you're there 38 years and the water's stirred and you never can get in and it doesn't work and the worldview is fallen and it only gives you emptiness and, and you tried everything you could and it's not working. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Would not your answer be, yeah, yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm there. Jesus, let's go. That's not what he said. Wow. What did he say? John chapter 5 verse 7. I have no one to help me. I, I, I would. I would be healed. But there's no one to help me. I think that's probably one of the most saddest verses that I can think of in the, in the New Testament. Because the answer was right there. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, who can do all these, was right there. And he looked right at him and he said, I have no one. You see? The worldview of failure blinds you to the very grace, to the very kindness, to the very healing that God has for us. It blinds us from that. And we blame, we blame the problem. We blame the people. Life is not fair. <laughs> I know you've never thought that in your life. But it's easy to do. It's easy to do that. You say, well, Greg, how can I change this worldview? Whether it's the worldview of the, in this world or whether it's of, of compromise that I keep falling or whether it's just this, this understanding that, that I can't do it, that I'm a failure. How do I, how do I break that filter? How do I, I turn around that filter? Jesus gave the answer to this, to this layman. That's the beauty of it. It's not complicated. <laughs> if you expect me to dig down all the Greek and tear it off, I could do that, but that's not what it is. <laughs> Watch what he says. Look, look, look what he says in verse uh, 8 as we go down in chapter 5. He said, then Jesus said to him, okay, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And walk out. You think, okay, why is that so profound? Because we have to step back and really understand what it's saying. You see, we must get up to look up. You have to start to get up to look up. And so often how we think this can't change, this won't turn around, God's not going to do this. We think wrong. Our, our mind is, is, is uh, 
down to where our failure has always been. We can't turn that around, and we'll never do that. And the Bible tells us over and over, you have to believe that God is able to touch you. You have to believe. You have to stand in faith. You have to understand. You, to, to look up, to think differently, to have the mind of Christ in your life, you're going to have to get up. You're going to have to get up. There, there's a sense of, of, of rising that's in this verse. And you have to look at it differently. You have to think of it differently. I love the story of Houdini who traveled. He was a magician years and years ago. So old. How many have ever heard of Houdini? Because that will be, okay, you're the old people. No, just kidding. So he traveled to, he got started by going into these jails, these small jails, and saying, I can get out. And he got out of every one of them, small town jails. And he got to one small town jail, and, and he looked at the jail and thought, oh, man, this is embarrassing because this is so pathetic. This is so bad. And they said, yeah, you, you go in there and see if you get out. So they were, he'll think, I'll be, I'll be following them out of the courtroom or the jailhouses, you know, because I'll get out of this so quick. So they shut the door, and he starts to work on it, 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 work on it. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He was like, this is, this is crazy. This is the easiest jail I've ever been. This, just, this should be so easy, but couldn't do it. Because the way he picked it was listen for the click. That's how you, he knows he's going to pick it. He's listen, listen for that click. And never heard the click. So finally, it had been embarrassingly too long. So he just fell down in exhaustion and collapsed and leaned against the door, and it just slid right open. You see, it was never locked. But he thought it was. You're not locked. God's grace is enough. It's big enough to change. I don't care what circumstances. I don't care what pain. I don't care what struggle. God is big enough. And then secondly, we must pick up to pull up. We must pick up that mat. We have to pick up the mat. So why was that important? Why wouldn't Jesus? Because this is what stirred the Pharisees and everyone up. He said, what do you want to pick up that mat for? Do that. Just, just get up and walk away. Why, why do you care about that mat? Well, the mat was his place. The mat was his home. He was tied to that mat. That, that's, that's who he was. And if he had left it, I believe there, there might have been a temptation to come back to that spot. So he said, this is not your spot anymore. Oh, you got to hear that. That's the best part of this whole sermon. This is not your spot anymore. Where you are, where you're struggling, where you think you can't change, that's not your spot anymore. God's grace is sufficient that you can stand up and go and be and achieve and see God do amazing things in you. This is not your spot anymore. You got to pick up that mat. You got to pick it up. What's holding you back? I'm going to get real personal. <laughs> What's holding you back? Because it could be friends. It could be jobs. It could be even family that's saying, no, this is who you are. You can't do that. You can't be that. You can't achieve that. You can't change there. You're going to have to be willing. I'm not saying leave, don't leave your family. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I, what I am saying is you got to pick up your mat. you got to be willing to say, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live for you no matter what it is. And the last thought is you must walk out to act. You must walk out. You see, everything about this word, when he says to walk, is progress. you got to move. you got to take a step. You're not going anywhere until you take a step. My mother tells me, told me, she said, she said Greg, you never really walked. And I said, well, that's obviously true now because I'm having a hard time with it. She <laughs> said, you never really walked. You just crawled, you got up, and you ran. <laughs> I mean, boom, across the, across the room. You just ran. And I think that's something that God wants us to understand. You're, you could run. 
God can set you free from, from this, this, this uh, uh, doubt and this fear and this failure and everything that holds us back. We need to move. One more verse, James 1.14. It says that we are tempted, you and I, all of us, when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. When we're dragged away, again, dragged away is probably a, not a perfect way to see it because the word there means to bait, to entice. You don't sin because you're dragged away, and a lot of people see that. Oh, I didn't want to do that. I was dragged away. It was too strong. I'm not able to do it. <laughs> We've all thought that. That's not it. But the bait, the thing that all of a sudden you looked at it and you thought, oh, it looks pretty good. <laughs> I, think, I think I want that. I think I want him or her. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's easy. It's just that, that bait that sort of pulls us away. The Bible says that it is, it is out of our own desire that we start to fall away. And I believe that's come because we have the wrong worldview. We're not looking at Jesus as our filter. We look at the failure. We look at the compromise. We look at the, what the world offers around us. And we really struggle. We think, how can I live for God? How can I be strong in what God wants us to do? It, we're not, you're not getting dragged away into failure. You're saying, man, that looks good because you have the wrong view. Somehow we have to understand that Jesus is our only filter. Jesus is our only view. He's the only way. It's only through Jesus. Without Jesus, without Jesus, you only see the bait. And with Jesus, you only see the love and the forgiveness. So when you're thinking in the circumstance, in the situation, and everything around you, when you're thinking, how do I get out of this? How is this going on? You need to just turn your heart and be filled with who he is and turn to Jesus. See, the two thieves on the cross, the cross was always about three crosses. It's never about just one. And one thief deserved to be there and turned and said, get us out of here so I can go on and steal some more. <laughs> Get us out of here. Change my circumstances. And a lot of times, that's what we're thinking. We're just seeing God as an answer to a present problem instead of saying, God, I need you. Get us out of here. That's what he said. But this other one, this other one said, no, 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 no. This is about me and my brokenness and how you can help me, Jesus. It was two different views. The question is, what view do you have? Which view are you looking at? Father, in the name of Jesus, pray your grace and your love just moves through every single heart. Help us understand, Father, that our view needs to be fixed on you, that you are the answer to all of our problems, that it's only through your redemption and only through your grace and only through your forgiveness that we're cleansed. So, Father, I ask you to touch every single person, with every head bowed. I just want to know, if you're sitting here and you say, Greg, my life isn't right with God. I need to, I've been looking the wrong way. I don't have Jesus as my filter. I don't have him as, as, as the anchor of my soul. And I want to turn around. And if you're watching online, this is for you. And you're saying, Greg, I need to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to pray for you. I want to pray for you right where you're at. And I believe God's going to touch you. I want you to pray with me. If that's your heart, I want you to pray with me. Just say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of all of my sin. 
I give you my heart. God, I want to use you as my filter. I need you. You are my grace. You are my forgiveness. You are my hope. Jesus, I pray right now that everyone that prayed this in their heart, everyone that prayed this online, that God, you would just fill them now with such hope, with such love, with such forgiveness that it overwhelms everything that they do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.